Amen. What a song. I believe we each in our own way have a glimpse and an idea of how much he loves us. But I truly believe that we have absolutely no idea how much he truly loves us. And one day, I'm waiting for that day to be able to be in his presence and to feel the full glory and the magnitude of his love. Father, I do just thank you, Lord, right now, Father, for loving us. That, Father, that you take us the way we are. And, Father, you mold us and you make us into what you want us to become. And, Father, how great your love is. Father, would you just allow us now, as we open your gift, your word, Father, that you would speak to us in such a mighty way. And, Father, that you would just maybe give us another glimpse of how much it is that you do love us today. And, Father God, I just pray everything in the precious and the most holy name of your son, Jesus. Amen. Amen. Do you have your umbrella? You know, there was a drought around here quite a while back. I don't think we have a drought right now by any means. We got plenty of rain coming, praise the Lord. We've had that rain. But I remember a time that we were wondering, was it going to ever rain again, which we knew it would. And during that time, it reminded me of a story of a church that was in a community that had been in a drought for a long, long time. And especially around here, if you're in an agricultural community and you don't have rain, crops begin to die, trees begin to die, livelihood begins to die. So this church formed a prayer meeting. What we are so good at at the Baptist church are meetings, amen? And they had formed a prayer meeting to come together for the purpose of praying for rain. The community was in a dire need. The church met. People come from all over. The church was packed. And they began praying for rain. If you would take your Bibles this morning and open them to Acts chapter 12. And I just want to tell you a little bit as you're turning there of what we're going to be looking at. Because, you know, sometimes we see movies that come out on TV and we would call them a a star-studded cast. Or maybe they are all of the, the hitters are there. Well, the passage we're going to look at today, let me tell you, is filled with a star-studded cast. There are a lot of people in this passage that are great and mighty people that we've heard a, a lot of things about. And I want to tell you just about some of these so that as we read the passage in the moment, you'll understand exactly who all is involved. You're going to see the name Herod, the King Herod. Well, this would have been Herod Agrippa I. Now, that might not mean a whole bunch to you, but understand this is the grandson of the great King Herod who was on the throne during the time of Jesus' birth. So we've got a, a grandson, a, a gentleman that had been brought up, and you know his father was killed by 
king of Herod the Great because he thought that his father, his son, might take over, which would have been the father of the grandson here. And then he was removed and Agrippa was sent off to Rome to learn under the Roman Empire and he met a friend there who eventually come up in rank and he's the one that actually put him into the position that he was at. We also have James, the brother of John. Now this would have been James, one of the two of the sons of thunder. Do you remember that from scripture, James? And John was given this name, sons of thunder. But what we understand here is James also was the first of the 12 apostles. He was also, this James was in the inner circle with Jesus James was the first of them to be martyred. And the other of the sons of thunder, John, would actually later become to be the last one that died. Out of all of them, the brother there, John, was actually the only one that died of natural causes and of old age. All of the others were martyred for their beliefs. And then we're going to hear about old Peter you know, Peter, the, the one who swore to stay there by Jesus' side, but yet he, he left him and restored. The one that made the statement that on the faith of Jesus, that's who they said he was, the church would be built based upon that faith. We're also going to see in here Mark. He was the cousin to Barnabas. This Mark that we're going to hear about just briefly is also the one who wrote the gospel according to Mark, which was the first of the gospels to actually be written. So you can see we've got a lot of major people here. And Mark, when you read in Mark, I found this interesting. Mark talks about a young man who was in the garden with Jesus when they come to arrest Jesus, you'll remember the story, and one grabbed his robe, and he basically fled off naked. That was probably the same Mark that wrote the gospel. It's the Mark that we're going to see here. And then we're going to see James, the brother of Jesus. So as we read, listen for these names and see how they played a role. The first 12 chapters that we've been looking at over the last year or so of Acts has been focusing on the church beginning, the apostles going out. We've been looking at Peter's ministry. At the end of 12 is a dividing point in the book of Acts. And Peter's going to kind of go by the wayside. And Paul is going to become the one that begins to be focused on but if you would, just stand with me, please, as we read through what's going on. I'm going to read to you all of the verses of chapter 12, but I want you to listen as we go through. It says, now about that time, Herod, that would be Agrippa I, remember the grandson of Herod the Great, the king laid hands on some who belonged to the church in order to mistreat them. And he had James the brother of John, put to death with the sword. When he saw that it pleased the Jews, he proceeded to arrest Peter also. Now it was during the days of unleavened bread, 
When he had seized him, he put him in prison, delivering him to four squads of soldiers to guard him, intending after the Passover to bring him out before the people. So Peter was kept in the prison, but prayer for him was being made fervently by the church to God. On that very night when Herod was about to bring him forward, Peter was sleeping beside two soldiers bound with two chains and guards in front of the door were watching over the prison. And behold, an angel of the Lord suddenly appeared and a light shone in the cell and he struck Peter's side and woke him up saying, get up quickly. And his chains fell off his hands. And the angel said to him, gird yourself and put on your sandals, and he did so. And he said to him, Wrap your cloak around you and follow me. And he went out and continued to follow, and he did not know that what was being done by the angel was real, but thought he was seeing a vision. When they had passed the first and second guard, they came to the iron gate that leads into the city, which opened for them itself, and they went out and went along one street, and immediately the angel departed from him. When Peter came to himself, he knew, he said, now I know for sure that the Lord has sent forth his angel and rescued me from the hand of Herod and from all that the Jewish people were expecting. And when he realized this, he went to the house of Mary, the mother of John, who was called Mark, where many were gathered together and were praying. When he knocked at the door of the gate, a servant girl named Rhoda came to answer when she recognized Peter's voice because of her joy, she did not open the gate, but ran in and announced that Peter was standing in front of the gate. They said to her, you're out of your mind. But she kept insisting that it was so. They kept saying, it's his angel. But Peter continued knocking, and when they had opened the door, they saw him and were amazed. But motioning to them with his hands to be silent, he described to them how the Lord had laid, led him out of the prison. And he said, report these things to James and the brethren. Then he left and went to another place. Now when day came, there was no small disturbance among the soldiers as to what could have become of Peter. When Herod heard and searched for him and had not found him, he examined the guards in order that they be led away to execution. Then he went down from Judea to Caesarea and was spending time there. Now when he was very angry with the people of Tyre and Sidon, and with one accord they came to him, and having won over Blattus, the king's chamberlain, they were asking for peace because their country was fed by the king's country. On an approved day, Herod, having put on his royal apparel, took his seat on the rostrum and began delivering an address to them. The people kept crying out, the voice of a God and not of a man. And immediately an angel of the Lord struck him because he did not give the glory and he was eaten by worms and died. But the word of the Lord continued to grow and to be multiplied and Barnabas and Saul returned from Jerusalem when they had fulfilled their mission taking along with them John, who was also called Mark. Father God, would you open our eyes now that we may behold wonderful things from your word. Father God, I pray everything in the name of your son, Jesus. Amen. You may be seated. What a powerful section of verses. There's a lot going on here, and I want us to just work our way through this and remember that Herod was that Agrippa the first. 
And I find it very interesting that he was the type man, he liked to be a, excuse me, a crowd pleaser. He was a little maybe insecure of himself. So what better way than to help by pleasing the crowd around you? Now, if you remember what's been happening is Gentiles have been hearing the message of God. The Jews that were already Christians, as they called them, were speaking to them. They were letting them come into the church, and Jews did not like Gentiles. So you have here a festival going on. It tells us that it was the day of the unleavened bread. This would have been a pilgrimage festival. The men were required to come to Jerusalem. So you have people coming from all around. Jerusalem's being filled with all the Jews coming for worship. And I can't help but imagine that Gentiles are trying to come in to some of this because they are now believers in God. They're wanting to maybe partake in some of this and the Jews don't like it one bit. And they're a little upset. So Agrippa here, he wants to get in there and he wants to please the crowd. So he takes one of them, James, the brother of John, one of the two sons of thunder. And in his own way, he has a lot of power. He probably puts him on trial and then he kills him by the sword. Prior to this, the execution of beheading probably would have happened with an axe, and it would have been a little gruesome. Have you ever tried to cut down a tree with an axe? How many of you ever did it with one whack of an axe? So it was probably not that pretty of a sight, but they would take this sword, I'm sure well sharpened, and, and off his head to James. The Jews like this. Here's one of those dealing with the Gentiles. So Agrippa thought because it was in his power and it was in his enjoyment that he would have spectacles and he would have executions to please people and to be part of the festivities. So he went out and he arrested Peter. He put Peter in jail because he didn't want to necessarily do it during Passover but he was getting ready as soon as Passover was over that he was going to take him out, put him on trial, and most likely was going to find him guilty. He would have orchestrated a way for him to be found guilty so he could kill him too and get more excitement from the Jews. what happened? God had a different plan. And that plan was to keep Peter on mission. So with that plan, when Peter was in jail, the church got together and they began to have a prayer meeting. Now understand at the beginning of the church, they didn't have buildings like we have today. They would have met in homes. 
This particular one was in the home of Mary, the mother of John, who was called Mark. And we see that, and they're there praying petitions for Peter. And while Peter is asleep, did that sound funny to y'all? Peter is in jail. I want you to grasp this now. Peter's in jail, basically handcuffed on both sides to a guard. He's got two guards in front of him. He knows in his mind that James has just been beheaded. Most likely the same thing heading for him. And the night of, so during the night, the early morning that this trial would have happened, Peter is asleep. He had faith in his God. Rather, he had faith that his God would get him out, that his God would change the trial, or that he was going to be with God. Whichever one didn't matter, but he was at peace enough to be asleep. The angel had to come in and nudge him, wake up there, Peter. Come on, we're leaving. When Peter stood up, those chains fell off. He walked past those guards. The gate opened itself, and they made their way out, and Peter went to where they were praying for him. There he is now at the door of Mary's house. Mary, probably a pretty wealthy woman, to be able to have, number one, a house large enough that there could be a collective group of people there, but also to be in the town and to have a servant girl and to even have a little courtyard in front of the house. So Peter goes to where he most likely is figuring that they're gathered together, probably praying for him. This is most likely the same place that they met for the Last Supper when they, or when they were there, maybe even the place where they met praying when the Holy Spirit came upon them. But we began seeing the work of God through all of this. And Peter goes and he knocks on the door. Can you imagine? He just got out of jail. He goes there praying. The servant girl, now this gets me. She knew Peter's voice. She knew Peter was in prison. And can you hear Peter saying, maybe, it's me. Let me in. You don't want to wake everybody. Did she let him in? (laughs) She got so excited she went to go tell them. Why not open the door and let him in? But what happens, these people that are all gathered together, and they're probably some on their knees, maybe some on their faces, maybe crying and weeping. They're fervently praying to the Father. Their prayer is answered. But when the servant girl comes and tells him, hey, what you're praying for, he's out there. What did the church do? Did they jump up in excitement? No, they began to ridicule her. You are out of your mind. Do you really expect me to believe old Peter's out there? He's down there in jail. She kept on. So then they said, well, maybe it's his ghost. Maybe it's his spirit. They believed back then that there was a guardian angel for each of the persons, and sometimes they would manifest themselves. Maybe it's just his angel. But I'm sure Peter's a little bit nervous. I just broke out of jail, so it comes from to, hey, open up a door, let me in. And when they come in, they are amazed. 
There he is. And they all began talking at once, and it says he quietened them down. I'm sure he quietened them down, number one, so that he could speak, but number two, they're in the middle of town. It's probably at this time somewhere between 4 and 6 a.m. We don't want to wake the neighbors. We don't want to let them know that he's out of jail. And from there, he says, tell James and the brethren. And then Peter makes his way out of the picture because he knew he would be chased after Agrippa. And then it begins to tell us that when they woke up, the guards, they were a little shocked. Would you not be? Maybe more than shocked, they're a little scared. Because in that day when you were a guard of a prisoner and they got away, your fate would have been what their fate was. These guards knew that when Agrippa calls, it's not going to be good for us. So Agrippa called. He's ready to bring him on child, bring him out. And then all of a sudden, before everyone come the word that Peter was gone. Agrippa was so mad, he brought him in. Well, either one of two things had happened here. One, the guards had helped him escape. There's no way to get out of the chains and pass the other guards. Or two, they're sleeping on the job. Either way, repercussions were going to happen. What did Herod do? He sent them for execution. And then after that, Herod makes his way down to Caesarea Philippi. I've been there, been where this area would have been, walked on some of these actual parts of where this building and this temple, not the temple, but this palace would have been. But he made his way down there because remember, famine was coming. And he made his way down there and he was going to give a speech. Now, in reading a little history behind what Herod was doing here, one of the early fathers named Josephus said that what he actually had done when it said that uh, he was angry with the people and he come and to speak before him, he went on and put on a suit of silver, an armor full of silver. When he would have walked out this morning onto the platform, the sun would have hit this silver and it would have radiated brightly before everyone and he sit down and he began to orate such a great speech and the people looking at the gleaming light began to praise him and said it's the voice of a god not of a man and instead of stopping it herod soaked it up all the more and it displeased god number one that Herod was not giving him the glory. Number two, that Herod had been killing his people. And it tells us there that he died of worms. He had a stomach problem. In the middle of giving this speech, he began to get this pain in his stomach and most likely double over. They took him out. Five days he dealt with this. Most likely what we would call today round worms. They got in and began to eat into his intestines that then began to let all of that leak out into that cavity and a slow and a painful death. You see, our God can revenge. What does it say? Take revenge not for yourself. Let the Lord do it. The Lord allowed him. The Lord caused him. It says, and immediately an angel of the Lord struck him because he did not give God the glory and he was eaten by worms and died. 
So what about do you have your umbrella? What do we see in this passage? The first thing is we see there are difficulties in life. I could take a poll here. I could ask you to raise your hand, whatever. All of us face difficulties in life. What was going on here? But Peter had difficulties. Remember, we read that. Look there at verse 12, excuse me, verse 3. It says, when he saw that it had pleased the Jews, he proceeded to arrest Peter. So Peter had the difficulty of being arrested. Peter also had the difficulty in his mind of an upcoming trial that would seem there was no way out of. And not only that, Peter had the difficulty of death looming over him. I don't know about your or my difficulties, but they might not be as severe as his. But difficulties in life, life, nonetheless, can become very crippling. And that's exactly where Peter was. He was dealing with difficulties. But not only were they difficulties, in the human eye, Peter's difficulties were also impossibilities. My, how God works in impossible situations. What do I mean impossible or impossibilities? Verse uh, 6 there tells us that he was chained to two guards. He would have probably had some kind of wrist cuffs on. We've seen those in maybe some old Western shows or some big, thick metal wrist cuffs. And they had chains that went to two other guards. Peter didn't move without a guard knowing he was moving. There was no way for Peter to be a a Houdini and get, you know, pull out that little bobby pin out of his mouth and get in there and unlock that little lock. He was bound to two guards. Not only that, even if by some chance those chains fell and he got out, he had the impossibility that there were two more guards right there in front. These are soldier guards that their life is on the line. It's what they do. You don't sleep on the job. We've already discussed if something happens, you get that penalty And then in verse 10, we see that they had passed the first and second guards and then they came to an iron gate to even get out to his freedom if some some miraculous way the chains came off. That impossibility out. If the other impossibility of the guard, somehow he got past that, there's an iron gate that's locked in front of him. Peter's fate is sealed. There's no way out. difficulty but you know there is also devotion to prayer the church knew exactly what they needed to do look there at verse 5 it says so peter was kept in the prison but what's that in green but prayer For him was being made fervently by the church to god i love anytime you see in scripture that word but The world sees this, but there's God. There was difficulty, there was impossibilities, but prayer came into play. The church knew that they needed to pray. 
that it wasn't just but prayer, it was also fervently by prayer. You see there in that verse 5 again that we get the word fervently. Not just any kind of prayer, but fervent prayer. All night, all-consuming prayer. You've been there, hadn't you? Difficulty in your life. Maybe a difficulty in the life of a child. Something going on. And you begin to pray. And you pray. And you're up all night. Praying, you're weeping. Maybe, just maybe, even fall prostrate. Whatever it takes, fervent prayer. The church had fervent prayer for Peter. His death is coming. They know who Herod is, they know how he works. They've seen what's happened to James. They're praying all night, consistently, ongoing, praying. But you know, they do have difficulty and they do have a devotion to prayer. But I believe sadly that they had a deficiency in faith. A deficiency in faith. Look there at Acts 12 verse 15. And they were flat out denying. They said to her, you are out of your mind. Now, wait a minute. This is the church. They're devoted to prayer. They're praying that God would do something. Intervene in only a way that you can. They have this wonderful head knowledge. But yet, when God worked... They flat out denied it, for starters. Told the little old servant girl, you're out of your mind. I'm sure they continued on ridiculing her. But you know, she was persistent. But the deficiency of the faith kicked in even more. Okay, fine. I'll admit that you hear something out there. But it's not Peter. It's just his spirit. You see there? It's his angel. It's not him. They couldn't believe that their prayer actually worked. You remember the church that was praying? Drought. Everything around them dying church called a prayer meeting church was packed with people coming to pray that God would bring rain if you've heard the story you know where I'm going out of this entire packed congregation one single lady brought an umbrella Coming to pray for rain to God who can send rain and only one person brought an umbrella. So my question to you today, do you have your umbrella? Let's take a look because in my life 
And in your life, we have difficulties. I think we're going to pop these up on the screen. There they are. Not a one of you can sit in here and truthfully tell me that you have not experienced a difficulty in your life or that you're not experiencing a difficulty right now. None of us, myself included. And you know what all of us in here, we're good old Baptists. Most all of us here have a devotion to prayer. When a difficulty comes into your life, I hope and pray that the first thing you do is pray. So often it's not, but eventually God will get us enough that we will come out and we will be devoted to prayer. We will begin to pray and we will do as the Bible says. We're going to pray without ceasing until God answers because I believe it. Or do I? Do I have a deficiency in my faith? Do I bring my umbrella to my prayer meeting with God? When difficulties in your life, changes in your life, do you pray out of habit and head knowledge? Or do we honestly pray from the heart, believing that God will work? How often when we're praying and God does work, do we just move it off to something else? Oh, it was long enough. It just happened. Oh, you know that was going to happen anyway. Church, as a born-again believer, having put your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, does not exempt us from difficulties in life. The only thing it does is it gives us the right to take it before the Father. And if we don't go to him in sincerity of heart, believing that he will and can do it, then we're missing the mark. I don't want you to have the deficiency in your faith. Feed your faith through God's word. He moves all throughout his word. Be looking when you're praying. What was it that the prophet was praying for rain and he asked his assistant there, look out, do you see anything yet? No. So what did he do? He went back to praying again. You see anything? No. He went back to praying again. And eventually the little assistant said, I can see a cloud. He continued to pray and rain came. What is your difficulty? What are you needing deliverance from? Pray with faith and begin looking for the Father moving. And be ready to give him glory so that we don't fall into Herod and take all the glory for ourselves. Remember, whatever's causing your difficulty, God will take care of it. If it's persecution, God will take care of the one persecuting. Leave it to him. Pray, turn the consequences over to him, 
And because all this happened, verses 24 and 25 tell us that once again, the Lord continued to grow his church. And Barnabas and Saul returned. Remember the famines going on. What did Barnabas and Saul have? They had the offering that was taken where they were at. We talked about last week and they brought it. Not only did the Lord deliver Peter, the Lord delivered the church. Our God is a God who delivers. Do you have your umbrella? May you bow your heads.